0: Hey, what's up Miami Dolphins fans? This is Riley from Fin it to Win it. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you all after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers. From Zlatan to Messi to Rapino and many more. Episodes will focus on the historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So, stay tuned after the episode and listen to Golden Goal: Stories of Soccer Legends wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It's important to establish that culture of winning, the importance of winning, and doing things the right way. So, for us, it's just to keep building upon that. Close to the end zone.
2: Zone is Eric Roll for the touchdown? Play fake, throws it. There he is,
0: leggings, and it's a big man touchdown in Miami. What is up, Dolphins fans? Welcome into another edition of Fin it to Win it, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and Bet Online. My name is Riley Bradshaw, alongside as always Mason Engelhart. You can follow and interact with the show on social media. We are at Fin it to Win it on Facebook and Twitter. So make sure you do that. We hope everyone had an enjoyable holiday weekend, an enjoyable 4th of July. Mason, I don't know about you, man, but (laughs) I had a great weekend. So me, the wife, and the kids, we went to my parents who live on a lake. So we were out at the lake on a boat, you know, the beach a little bit. So it was a lot of fun. But I know I'm probably, if you're listening to this and you have kids, you can probably relate to this. And Mason, I'm sure you have a daughter as well, so you can relate Going on the trip may not be the problem. It's when you get home. So like during the trip, everything was fun. Like we were having a lot of a lot of fun. But the kids, you know, missed their naps because we're out at the beach and whatnot. And then like you pay for it that whole next week (laughs) when you come home because the kids, like, we got home last night, didn't sleep. Today they've just been a complete mess. You know, you can tell they're tired. They got a lot of sun, running around being crazy. So it's just been It's been chaotic since we've gotten back. So that's like the price you pay for going on these trips uh, with kids under the age of like five.
1: You've been there, done that, Riley. Uh, Luckily for us, we stayed at the home base. We stayed at the house. We grilled out. We can watch fireworks from our backyard. So it was nice to stay home. But I've definitely been there. And sometimes that long trip you have to take back is like a savior because the kids can catch up on some of their sleep during that car ride now. If they don't sleep well in the car, that that is a recipe for disaster.
0: That's the thing, Mason. So my oldest daughter, she is a champ in the car. She will pass out the second you get in it, and she'll wake up when you get to wherever you're going. Our 12-month-old is the complete freaking opposite. Like, she is a complete mess in the car. Either she passes out, and we're like, whew, crisis averted, or she screams bloody murder the entire way. And we got that to and back. (laughs) For this trip, so we got a double whammy. So, on top of the tired kids, you get the you get the nice hour and a half car ride. Luckily, we didn't hit traffic because oh my god, I would have just I would have blown a gasket. But yeah, it was a complete mess coming back from uh, my parents' place. So once we got home, I just needed a break. I was like, I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I need to decompress <laughs> a little bit here. <laughs> And I I
1: don't know how your daughters do with fireworks, but my daughter, who's going to be three later this month, this was actually her first year staying up to watch the fireworks because, you know, summertime, they don't light the fireworks off until 930, even 10 o'clock. So she made it all the way until 945. She was a trooper all day. We even set some fireworks off in our driveway too, kind of like a um, appetizer for the big show. As soon as the big fireworks started, though, she kind of looked over at myself and my wife, and she said, is it over yet? She, she was oh, ready really? to go inside. She was not a fan. She liked our fireworks show, but I think the big show that they did in our city, just kind of a little too loud for her. Hopefully next year she can do it. But it was still a fun day. It was a great day. And hey, we didn't have to worry about traveling, unlike you guys.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, did you guys have a big fireworks show? Because I think there was one near us, but... You know, we didn't even bother because it was going to be so packed. You go in your car. So like it, uh, but because of that, it felt like in the neighborhood, everybody was doing fireworks. And all I could think in my mind is like the fire department is probably so pissed off right now because think about how many people that would typically just go watch fireworks and come home. Now, like I'll do it myself and light something on fire (laughs) trying to do it. (laughs)
1: Lucky, yeah, luckily we, our city, we can see them from our backyard. We don't have to travel. We don't have to deal with the traffic. It's, it's been, it's been beautiful these last few years since we moved to our new house.
0: Yeah, that's a nice setup. So hope everyone had a nice, enjoyable, relaxing, unlike Mason or myself, relaxing Fourth of July weekend. We did something pretty cool on social media this past weekend too. We did a Fourth of July giveaway. So throughout the weekend, if you interacted with a post that we did on Twitter, if you retweeted the post and followed Finnett to win it, you are entered to win a Miami Dolphins flag that resembles the American flag. So a pretty cool giveaway we're doing. We're going to announce that winner on this show at the end of the show. So that was something exciting we're doing. And if you're listening to this podcast on the day of its release, which is Tuesday, we've just started our round two of our Dolphins Trivia Contest. We selected, randomly selected, our first participants. We're doing two for each post. So the first one was Austin Bullock and Jason Hogarth, hope I'm saying your name right, Jason, on Twitter, they were both selected and accepted to enter the trivia giveaway. So they're going to come live on the show for a special fins up Friday to compete for a chance to win a hundred dollar gift card to NFL shop. So congratulations to them, but we have six more slots to fill Mason. So we're starting a post today. If you haven't go to Fin it to win it, retweet the post, follow Fin it to win it and Obviously, you have to answer the trivia question correctly, and you will be entered to be selected to win a hundred-dollar gift card to NFL Shop. It's it's awesome.
1: It's going to be really exciting. Our last few contests, the flag giveaway, the first round of the trivia, it's gotten great traction. So we definitely want to keep this up. I'll be curious to see how certain Dolphin fans do with our next trivia question that we're going to be posting. A little more challenging. yeah, a little bit more challenging, but I still think it's manageable. Uh, the first round, we both were like, okay, this trivia question, pr- pretty pretty easy, but at the same time, we could see some people having trouble with it. This round is going to be a little bit tougher. The third and the fourth round might be even be harder. We'll see. So bring your A-game Dolphin fans when you're answering these trivia questions. And, of course, if you do get selected, be ready to rock and roll because there will be some different variety of questions that we give Uh, Austin and Jason as they go against each other for our first matchup so hopefully they'll do well with it and everybody else and like I said it's awesome to see the great participation from the fans
0: all right so enough of the housekeeping tonight Mason we're talking position groups so over the last couple of months we've broken down each position group individually in depth so if you haven't listened to those you can find them on our show's feed on any major podcast platform tonight we're going to be taking all of those groups that we've broken down, and we're going to be ranking them from the weakest, in our opinion, to the strongest.
1: Yeah, and like Riley mentioned, the last two months, we've really broken down these position groups with a fine-tooth comb. We've gone through the different players. We've talked about the starters. We've talked about the reserves, how the team did last year, our thoughts on how they'll do this upcoming season. So for these position groups, as we rank them, you know, we're not going to get that elaborate into each one. We'll definitely talk about how we feel about them what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. But check out all those breakdowns that we've done in the past month or two, because Riley and I, we definitely talked about each one in depth. We made sure to really give our full opinion and the full scope of all these different positions next year for the Dolphins. It is nice, though, to kind of put it all together like a big puzzle. Where do we think the weakest is? Where do we think the strongest is? I will say the weakest one has a very strong contender who we both agree could be a breakout player of the year for the Dolphins. And he did finish the year strongly, Riley. So let's get it kicked off, Riley. What's coming in at our weakest position?
0: All right. So at number eight, we went with tight ends. And kind of like Mason alluded to, you look at Mike Kosicki at the top of that list. Obviously, he's one of the breakout players from last season, especially if you look at the second half of the year. His production just shot through the roof. We're hoping he can continue that. But I know when we were talking about this, Mason, it's kind of just, you know, after Mike Gesicki, it's a pretty big drop-off. Uh, you have Durham Smythe there, who was drafted in the same draft as Gesicki. He was taken in the fourth round out of Notre Dame. A serviceable blocking tight end, but he does not give you what Gesicki gives you on the football field in terms of the receiving threat. And then you have guys like Michael Roberts, uh, Chris Merrick, and then we talked to Bryce Stirk, the undrafted rookie, um, but, you know, he's converting from defense defensive end to tight end, so that's a project um, with him and, quite frankly, Chris Merrick. So you look at this group, if something happens to Gesicki, they're going to have to change the entire game plan because they don't have that guy that can fill in and at least provide the same style that Mike Gesicki brings from the tight end position. You're going to have to totally readjust what you do with your tight ends and make him more of a traditional type of tight end with Smythe or Michael Roberts, who they picked up from the Detroit Lions um, uh, last season. So, yeah, I think just the overall, because of the lack of depth, is why they come in at number 8 for us.
1: Yeah, Riley, from a depth perspective, this is easily the weakest position group we have. Uh, besides Gesicki, like you mentioned, there is not a true pass-catching tight end on this roster who's going to help Miami. His health for this position is probably one of the top priorities on this dolphins team, maybe besides quarterback and a few other spots, offensive line, Mike Isicki is gonna need to stay healthy on this field. We've also talked about how Chan Gailey's offense, it's not traditionally been one that feeds tight ends regularly. Now Mike Isicki is going to be a little bit of an outlier for that because Chan Gailey, we've talked about this in our tight end breakdown, how Chan Gailey hasn't had a ton of of talented receiving tight ends in his past besides Tony Gonzalez. So he hasn't really had a need to feed the tight end a lot. Now, the way Mike is sick, he finished the season last year and how his pace for his final nine games was 741 yards. And that would have landed him like seventh among tight ends. He finished the year very strongly uh, finished the year with, I believe five touchdown catches So five in the last six
0: weeks of the season. five in
1: the last six weeks. And he didn't have a touchdown catch in his first year and a half as being a dolphin. So the way he ended the season is very positive. It's going to give us hope next year. But the fact that there is very little depth on this lineup, The fact that once you lose Mike Kosicki, if something happens, God forbid, it is going to be really tough for the Dolphins to continually have a tight end out there who's going to be catching the ball. They may even have to go out and sign somebody who can fill that void. So because of that, that is the biggest reason why I think Riley and I agreed that the tight ends groups is going to come at number eight on this list. I could see, though, how fans can say, well, wait a minute. Mike Kosicki's talented. Mike Kosicki's going to have a breakout year, but... Once again, it goes back to the depth. It goes back to the fact that even though Mike Isicki had a solid end to the year last year, before that, he really didn't show a ton of consistency. So it's going to be a huge year for him in year three for the former second round pick for the Dolphins. But number eight, I feel like is the right spot for the tight ends in in this group. And of course, if Mike Isicki continues to play the way his year ended last year, he could easily make it a stronger group.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned this. If, if something happens to Gasicki, I mean, Gasicki is not like in terms of his makeup like any of the other tight ends on the roster. He took 461 snaps last year in the slot. That's third most among tight ends. You go to the second tight end, Durham Smythe, completely different scenario. Out of his 484 total offensive snaps, he took 375 of those from the line of scrimmage. So completely different makeups in terms of players. So the lack of depth is why the tight ends come in at number eight. Let's go ahead and move to number seven. And we're going to go with offensive line here. I know the team addressed this position group in a major way through the draft and free agency. But to me, Mason, there's still a lot of question marks. They're bringing in a lot of guys that we're high on, but we still don't know definitively until we see them actually on the field and how they perform together as a group. I think there's just too many question marks to really put them much higher than this. And I think it really kind of all starts with their first round pick in Austin Jackson out of USC. I know that Dolphins fans, you have some Dolphins fans that are very high on Austin Jackson, and there's some that are a little more hesitant. I think for me personally, I'm a little more on the hesitant side. I would have loved for them to get one of those top four offensive tackles in the draft. But Austin Jackson, in terms of a raw talent, definitely worth the first round pick, but he's a project. I'm not sure he's ready to be thrown in there week one at left tackle and protect Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua, whoever's back there under center for the Dolphins. And that's kind of what worries me is, is Austin Jackson ready for the big time at left tackle to be going up against NFL caliber defensive linemen and defensive ends week in and week out? I'm not sure he's ready. So I think the whole conversation starts with Austin Jackson.
1: And unlike Riley, unlike the tight ends, this group does have some depth. It does have the rookies, like you mentioned, Solomon Kinley, Robert Hunt, Austin Jackson. It has some guys sprinkled in who played last year for the Dolphins. And then it also has two free agent pickups in Flowers and Karras that the Dolphins added in potential starters. It has the depth, but as you alluded to it has a ton of question marks because of all the question marks, because of the fact that there's so many guys on this roster who've not played together besides Davenport and Davis, they're pro- and maybe Dieter. There probably won't be another starter opening day. That was here last year for this team. And we mentioned this on our offensive line breakdown, but out of 171 NFL offensive linemen, all of Miami's offensive linemen finished 146 or worse in the pass block win rate and that pass block win rate. It tells us the rate at which linemen can sustain their blocks for 2.5 seconds or longer. So that offense really struggled last year on the offensive line department. I like how they brought in some solid guys and Karras Karras filled in for the Patriots last year with an injury to another lineman. And then you have flowers who kind of had, even though he's not a, a veteran, really he's only been in the league a few years, But he had an early career resurrection when he was moved to guard last year for the Redskins. Tackle didn't really work for him. Had a great year for Washington. We're really hoping that can transition to another season with the Dolphins. He'll probably be at the left guard spot. But there is a lot of hope in this position. There's a lot of hope for a lot of Dolphins positions. There's really not a position you look at and you say, wow, I mean, there's no future in this position. That's a great thing about this young team. And when you look right. at the offensive line, there's a ton of hope. I mean, We've talked about it a lot on this show when we've broken down the draft recap. I love Robert Hunt. You like Robert Hunt a lot. Yep. I mean, you may not be super high on Austin Jackson right now, but the more and more I read, the more and more I watch, I see what the Dolphins are seeing with that. And then Solomon Kinley is a guy. He could be a dark horse in someone who could possibly make his way to the starting l- Lineup because they have so many guys who can be moved around to different spots. You know, Michael Dieter is a guy who can play different spots. You know, Robert Hunt, even though he's primarily been a right guard, the Dolphins drafted him so high because they probably want to eventually move him to right tackle. Will he be an opening day starter for right tackle? That remains to be seen. We'll have to see how the offseason goes and what the training camp situation looks like. But there's a ton of hope for this positional group, Riley. But like you mentioned, there's a ton of question marks that come along with it.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the pass block win rate. But also, if you look on the other side of it, in terms of their rushing offense, they were dead last in the league last year um, in terms of rush yards per game, average yards per carry. So they needed a lot of help in that department as well. And the one thing that I'm very excited about with this group is they brought in guys with attitude, with a little bit of a nasty streak to them. And we talk about yep. this a lot in our, in our breakdown, but guys like Eric Flowers – guys like Robert Hunt. I mean, coming out of college, you know, he played guard and tackle, so he's versatile there. But the one con about Robert Hunt is sometimes he gets a little too aggressive with his blocks. So that's that's a pretty good problem to have. You can just hone that in and keep him disciplined on the line of scrimmage. Kinley's the same way. So you got guys on there that are just maulers and have that nasty attitude. The years of pushing around the Miami Dolphins offensive line are over. Now, whether how long it takes for this team to become, you know, a cohesive unit and develop some chemistry because out of any group on the football field, the offensive line is the group that needs to communicate and be on the same page the most.
1: And Riley, if we did rank, if we had a rankings, and maybe we might do this later, so I shouldn't say too much of this, but if we had a rankings for maybe which positional group three years from now, where they'll be at, I think offensive line could easily be in the top four because they really address this in the off season. I mean, their two goals were to, solidify the offensive line especially for Tua in his future and the defensive line too in certain ways so you know I, I this unit this offensive line I can definitely see in the next year or two getting a lot better and it improving but right now for where they're at there's just way too many new faces on here to rank them higher than seven
0: no it's a good point and you look at the draft capital that they have next year two first round picks two second round picks yeah great room, point People are thinking they're going to be spending those on offensive weapons, skill position players, which I really hope they do. But if for some reason Austin Jackson or Robert Hunt or Solomon Kinley just don't seem like they're progressing like they should, at least you have that backup where, you know, next year's tackle class is a pretty strong class. So you could take someone in the first round if you absolutely had to because you got to shore up the trenches. You got to shore up the line of scrimmage on the offensive side of the ball to take care of Tua, your future franchise quarterback. So, We're talking trenches. Let's go to number six on the other side of the ball, defensive line. And I know for me, Mason, when we were kind of going through this together, this is the spot where it was a little harder for me. I could have moved them up a little bit, but they kind of, through our conversations with each other, fell in the sixth spot. You know, they bring in a lot of new faces, much like most of these groups, but... You bring in Shaq Lawson, you bring in Emmanuel Agba. You know, Van Noy, he was an edge rusher last year, probably going to be used more as a hybrid linebacker, but you could throw him into this. The team listed Curtis Weaver as a defensive end, although he's kind of the same makeup as Van Noy. You bring him in, you bring Raquan Davis in. So they bring in a lot of new faces to help out Godshaw and Wilkins. And then obviously, Wilkins is your first round pick from last year. So there's a lot of youth and a lot of talent, but how are they going to come together? And what kind of production are you going to get in the sack department? Because the team finished dead last in the league with only 23 sacks last year. You got to get pressure on the quarterback to help out your secondary when you're dropping back into coverage. You just got to and not leave the quarterback all day to just dissect your defense. You got to get those sack numbers up. And they're hoping guys like Shaq Lawson and Agba can help, you know, do that.
1: Only one player on the team last season had more than three and a half sacks, and he's not even on the team anymore. That's Taco Charlton. But, you know, you mentioned those guys. They went out, they get Shaq Lawson, they get Ogba. They have good talent in Godshaw and Wilkins. But a lot of these guys, they were very dominant rushers in college. It hasn't transitioned to the NFL yet. There's a lot of things I like about Shaq Lawson. They're paying him a lot of money. Didn't really stay out on the field a lot for Buffalo under 50% of their snaps last season. Didn't start any games either, but he still had a productive season overall for the amount of time he played. I like Shaq Lawson. I think he's going to really help the dolphins in the past rushing department. Kyle Van Noy, the dolphins are going to be moving him a lot around the field. Playing the edge rusher for him is going to help this line as well. Stopping the run is going to be more important or as important as rushing the quarterback for this Dolphins defensive line. There's a lot of youth on this team. There's a lot of things to like. But once again, are there starters or are there players on this line who you can look at and say, oh, yeah, you can mark him down for a sack or two a game, or, oh, yeah, he's going to easily get two or three QB pressures today. No, there's not. And that's why they're ranked at six. I honestly think you could even move them back to seven. I hate to say that. I think there's an argument for the offensive line, maybe being a little bit of better position than this defensive line next year.
0: One guy Mason that I'm looking at to elevate their game going into this year is Christian Wilkins entering his second year. He was our first round pick out of the last draft, not this past one, but the last one. So he's a guy, he kind of came out slow out of the gates, picked up his game throughout the year. But if you kind of break down the numbers, there are some things to be excited about. Yeah. He didn't get much of a rush on the quarterback, but that even got better. He produced 56 tackles, which led all rookie uh, defensive linemen. He had 30 total pressures. According to Pro Football Focus, that was third most among rookie defensive linemen since 2016. And 16 of his 26 quarterback hurries occurred weeks 12 through 17. So as the year went on, he was starting to get a little bit more pressure on the quarterback. And now that he has more stability around him, we mentioned last year, taco charlton with what three and a half sacks was our leading sack yep. getter that's just not going to cut it and it's not going to help your interior defensive lineman now that you bring in established edge rushers like emmanuel agba and shaq lawson and even kyle van Noy, hopefully that's going to open up some some lanes in the middle for guys like christian wilkins and Deva gancha so i'm looking for christian wilkins i'm expecting him to make a major jump going from his rookie year to his second year in the league
1: I'm going to be looking Riley too at the rookies to see how they progress during the year. The rookies in the beginning of the year may not get a ton of time on the line, but as the season goes on, as injuries pop up, as they always do for all teams around the NFL, it's going to be interesting to see what Raekwon Davis. Jason Strobridge and then Curtis Weaver as well can do on this defensive line not only in the sacks department but seeing how they can hold up how they can be stopping the run you know Raquan Davis he's someone who we talked about a lot when we discussed the defensive line breakdown in the preview you know as his college career went on his stats and his production it did start to teeter off it went downhill a lot We all remember how excited Brian Flores was when the Dolphins did draft him in the second round with the 56 picks. So the Dolphins obviously are very high on him. They feel like they got someone who should have been somewhere in the late first round, early second round with that selection. And then you have Jason Strobridge, a guy who has good size, 6'4", about 280 pounds, who can play a multiple amount of positions, only missed two games in his final three seasons at Chapel Hill. And then Curtis Weaver, the sack machine, 13 and a half sacks at Boise state. There's a lot to like with these rookies. So it's going to be interesting to see as the season goes on next year, how much of an impact they can make.
0: Yeah. When you look at Raquan Davis, we spent a ton of time talking about him in our uh, defensive line breakdown, but if he would have come out after his sophomore year, he would have been a surefire first round yeah. draft pick. Uh, first team, all sec eight and a half sacks, 10 tackles for loss to do was an absolute monster. Yes. His production decreased and significantly So obviously there's some worry there. But just seeing Brian Flores' reaction after they drafted him, knowing that he has two first-round caliber talents in Christian Wilkins and Raekwon now on the defensive line, he is very excited. Now he has some options and things that he can do. It opens up the playbook a little bit down in the trenches for the Miami Dolphins. So something to keep an eye on there because when they made the pick, I was... I was like, "Ah, I'm not sure about this. But when you see Brian Flores' reaction, you're like, oh, I guess he knows exactly what he's going to do with this guy. So if Brian Flores is happy about it, I for sure am happy about it.
1: <laughs> you know, the, the Dolphins have been very consistent in their vision. They've been very consistent in how they want to rebuild this team starting in the trenches. So we have to roll with it. You know, Brian Flores, Chris Greer, they definitely have a plan in place. So we have to trust them in that process. And if they're pumped, if they're that pumped up to get certain guys later in the draft, in the second, the third, the seventh round, it doesn't matter. We have to go with it. We have to have faith in them, especially this early on in the rebuilding process
0: all right so we're going to move on to our number five position group but first a real quick read from today's sponsor of the show bet online look everyone there is no shortage of action going on right now at our exclusive partners betonline.ag mason why don't you tell the people more
1: sports riley they are slowly making their way back and bet online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all the ufc nascar boxing and soccer matches and all the other sports coming back as well and if you need even more they still have the simulated nfl nba and ufc simulations all day every day live on their website if you're looking for something else other than sports bet online has you covered with hundreds of casino games poker tournaments and prop bets to check out so what are you guys waiting for? Visit betonline.ag. Use the promo code BlueWire for a free welcome bonus. That's one word. Blue BlueWire. BetOnline,
0: your online wagering experts. All right. So our number five group, you could argue, is the most improved position group in the Miami Dolphins organization this year. And it's kind of a shocking way that they went about it because... The Miami Dolphins did not address the running back position in the draft like most I people wanted thought to. they would. I At was Mason, I was on I, that. If you listen to this show, you know Mason desperately wanted them to take a running back early in this past draft. They didn't do that, but they still addressed the position in different ways. They bring in Jordan Howard through free agency. They trade for Matt Breida actually during the draft. So they bring in two guys, both bring different skill sets, but both bring production in this league. So you got to be excited about where the running back position is heading for the Miami Dolphins, considering last year they were the worst running team in the entire football league.
1: Yep, and obviously that really translates to how is the offensive line, durability and offensive line. They're going to be those determining factors on if this rushing game can rebound. But the Dolphins, they obviously made two big pickups this offseason. They signed Jordan Howard to a very friendly contract, which is one of the you know, there's a lot of things like about Jordan Howard, but the fact that the Dolphins got him for so cheap is very, very nice. And then in the draft, Riley said it, I was not a huge fan of the Dolphins passing on a lot of those talented running backs early on. But, hey, like I said, Flores and company, they have a plan. We got to trust it. And surprisingly, they – well, maybe not surprisingly. I figured they would do something. But they make the trade. They get Matt Breida. That's a nice one-two punch the Dolphins can have – with Jordan Howard, you're going to get a back who loves contact. In the last three years, he has a very solid percentage of passing targets. His average per reception is 7.8 yards. So he's not only a bruiser, he's someone who can catch the ball in the backfield. And oof, man, Matt Breida, when he can get in space, he can really be electric. So hopefully, the Dolphins, these two guys, can make an impact. They do have a little bit of depth to Riley. You know, Patrick Laird, Kalen Bellage they did have disappointing seasons in different ways. But the fact that they're going to be there is important because durability, like I mentioned, Riley, Matt Breed and Jordan Howard, they're guys who have had some injury issues in their careers. So Laird and Balage, they're going to play big parts on this team.
0: Yeah, they're going to need Bellage to really step up during training camp, one, if he wants to make the team, and two, if something happens to particularly Jordan Howard. Now, I love the Jordan Howard move because all this guy has done since coming into the NFL is produce. Two out of his first four seasons, 1,000 yards. Um, But, you know, we talked about this. The durability is a question. You know, he missed almost half the season last year. Uh, He missed some games the year before that. So he's been banged up because mainly of his running style. I mean, this guy is that between-the-tackles, thumper, physical runner that you really love to have on your football team, but that comes at a cost um, to miss some games because you're going to get nicked up here and there. And then Matt Breida, you bring him in, he's that lightning. I mean, clocked last year at over 22 miles per hour in that touchdown touchdown run versus the Browns, fastest run in the entire NFL last season. He averages over five yards per carry for his entire career. So you're getting two versatile and effective, productive running backs. And what makes me really excited, Mason? Yeah, we talked about Chan Gailey struggling to involve his tight ends in the passing game, but... Chan Gailey with running backs is a great combination. If you look at his history, just going back to the Jets and the Bills, his running backs produced guys like Chris Ivory, guys like C.J. Spiller, guys that didn't have, you know, the greatest of careers, but when Chan Gailey got a hold of them, turned them into pro bowlers, and in C.J. Spiller's case, made him one of the best running backs in the league for that one season. Uh, His career year was with Chan Gailey. So you got to be really excited about matching Chan Gailey in this offensive scheme to the skill sets of Matt Breida and Jordan Howard.
1: And if these rookies on the offensive line, if they can get a nice start to their NFL careers, it's obviously going to help the run game a lot more for Miami, the health of the receivers, the health of Mike is and the tight ends as well. All these things are going to combine to help the running styles of Jordan Howard and Matt Breida. And another thing is this, you know, durability. Obviously I mentioned it Riley. You mentioned it too. I don't think Jordan Howard's going to be getting 25 carries a game, or he shouldn't be at least in this system, you know, 15 touches a game, something around there, maybe 20, a few games during the season, but him and Matt Breida, they're going to be in on different packages, running the ball, catching the ball, the backfield. So I'm really interested to see how they utilize both of these guys' strengths
0: next year. All right, let's move on to number four. If you're talking about this last year, we may have said the wide receivers were our number one group, at least top two or three going into the season. Now they're at number four, Mason, and I don't even know about that. I I have a lot of question marks when it comes to this group. Obviously, you start with Devontae Parker, you know, had his breakout year last season. But then after Devontae, and even Devontae lacks consistency. I mean, last year, towards the end of the year, he really exploded on the scene. But, you know, before that, his entire career was nothing but inconsistency. So you have him as your number one. But then you have guys like Preston Williams, had a great rookie season until he got injured. Albert Wilson just never can seem to get it going consistently for a full year. Same with Jakeem Grant. So you have a lot of guys that have talent, but they just can't stay on the football field. And that's a problem.
1: Yeah, it is a talented group. Not only can these guys not stay on the field, but they can't even get on the field. You know, you look at someone like a Grant. We mentioned him a lot in different episodes in the last month or two, but only 20% of the time he was on the field, only 217 snaps. He's got a lot to prove. We've, saw, we've seen the off-season videos, how good he looks working out, running those trills. But he has to get on the field and stay on the field. We have a guy like Albert Wilson. Several years ago he really showed the Dolphins how explosive he can be. He can catch a 10-yard pass and turn it into a 70-yard big play. Can he stay on the field consistently? He had a career best season last year as far as receptions goes. He still didn't look like his normal self coming off the injury. He did restructure his contract, which is a big thing, because he was a guy who was probably on the hot seat because of how much money he was making. Now it's more of a team-friendly deal, which is nice, so we know the Dolphins are a little bit more invested in him going forth in the future. But it all starts with Devontae Parker. Can he replicate what he did last season, especially at the end of last year, We got to see what he could do in a full season. He stayed healthy. He had nine touchdowns, and he had nine touchdowns combined in his four previous years. So the fact that he was trending, the fact that he was showing us what he's capable of doing, his route running was very solid. He had a good rapport with Fitzpatrick at quarterback. If that can continue to trend and these DBs and safeties have to keep honoring him down the field, it's going to really open up a lot of things for the Dolphins, especially over the middle where this team can succeed.
0: And if you look at the second pass option going into this year, for me, I personally believe it's Mike Kosicki. It could be Preston Williams because people were if he's very healthy. He, if he's healthy, that's a key, and that's a lot. I mean, you could talk about that with all of these guys pretty much. Even Devontae Parker before last year was just injury-plagued his entire career. So you have to be on the field to be able to produce and on a consistent basis. And Preston Williams suffering his second torn ACL in his career last year. So he's got to find a way to stay on the field. You know, he's an athletic, great size, great catch radius. I mean, he's a nightmare matchup one-on-one for defensive backs, but, you know, a little bit inconsistent in his route running. He had quite a few drops, but, you know, if he can build on the progress he made throughout his rookie campaign into his second year, you have a solid one-two combination in terms of your receivers. And then if you add Gesicki into the mix, you know, coming off of his breakout season in the second half of last year, you have a pretty solid wide receiving core the question mark is can they just stay on the field together and then if you look there is some there is some depth here albert wilson jakeem grant but even alan hearns who's a veteran uh last year he played a huge role um with all the injuries that the that the team had he was versatile in 522 offensive snaps he played in the slot 254 times out wide 259 so split evenly he's one of the few receivers that you can use in the slot and out wide. So you have him, Isaiah Ford. I know you and you and I are pretty high on him as well. So you have some depth. And then I know a lot of people are excited about the rookie Kirk Merritt out of uh, Arkansas State. You know, the undrafted rookie people have high hopes for him as well. So other than Kirk Merritt, the team really did nothing to address the wide receiver position. So I guess they feel pretty comfortable going into this year with this unit and see how they perform and then next year i mentioned all their draft capital if they have to go and grab a wide receiver in the first or second round they have the capital to do it
1: it'll be interesting to see where the dolphins go with all those draft picks next season obviously there's a long road ahead of us before we can address that but the fact that we do have jordan howard and matt Breida as our running backs if they can stay healthy this year and they can show progress. For this Dolphins run game, I think the Dolphins target the receiving position more than the running back position just because right now they have a lot of similar guys who can do the same thing. So if there's a really great dynamic wide receiver coming out of college and the Dolphins have a shot to get him early in the draft, I can see them doing that. And one more thing I'll add before we move on is, you know, I know Malcolm Perry is technically listed as a running back, but he's someone who we can see lining up as a wide receiver at different times. So they did address that late in the draft, but he's still someone who can show a lot of flash. He can play multiple positions. He can do a lot of different things. So Malcolm Perry, is someone who you should also keep your eye on as the dolphins move forward this off season.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and move on to number three on our list. Mason. I talked about this in our breakdown. One of the youngest groups on the team, 10 out of the 12 players listed for the Miami Dolphins linebackers on the official roster, are 26 years old or under. And if you include Curtis Weaver, who we think is going to be able to play a lot more in the linebacker unit as well as on the line, if you include him in there, 11 out of 13 guys that are 26 years old or under. So what's very exciting about this group is you have a lot of talent, but you have a lot of young talent with guys that you brought in, not just through the draft, but free agency as well.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of guys who you look in this unit, and you can say, wow, you know, the potential is really there. You know, you start with Jerome Baker. Played over 1,000 snaps for this Dolphins defense last year. That's almost 97%. Only had two sacks all season, but he does a lot of things very solidly for this defense. You go down the line, you look at somebody like Vince Beagle. He was a last-minute addition to the team when they swapped with the Saints for Kiko Alonso. Didn't really know what he would do for this team, but he became a really scrappy guy in the run game. He earned himself a second season in South Florida. And then, to me, though, it all starts with a $51 million man in Kyle Van Noy. You mentioned how young this linebacking group is. Kyle Van Noy is not that old either, but he is going to be seeing someone For a lot of leadership he's going to be moved around the field a lot i'm really excited to see how brian flores is going to use them because he coached kyle van Noy in 2018 they used him a lot in the box as a defender and in the edge as a defender as well
0: yeah and that's why we had him as our number one free agent move for the miami dolphins in terms of their importance to the team you mentioned it he worked with brian flores during his New England Patriot days he brings that winning culture that winning mentality and obviously the experience of playing in a system that he was very successful in with Brian Flores and he's just he's so versatile and that's what Brian Flores quite frankly was lacking in his defense last year from the linebacker position I mean we love Jerome Baker and what he brings but he struggled versus the run doesn't get pressure on the quarterback like you would hope he would hopefully we see that um, progress this year but then you look at Raquan McMillan run-stopping, physical, in-the-box type of linebacker. I love, personally, the style that he brings, but he's, quite frankly, a liability in pass coverage. So Kyle Van Noy brings that versatility where you don't have to worry about taking him on and off the field. You can use him in multiple different ways all over your defense. So he's really going to come in and become the leader of this defensive unit for the Miami Dolphins. So very excited about that. And then you go further down the depth chart, Sam Aguavin, Andrew Van Ginkle, Trent Harris, you have some depth in this unit as well. Guys that came in, although in limited playing time, played pretty well in that playing time that they were given. So you have some depth at the position as well.
1: Love the depth. Van Ginkle, somebody who came in the holiday season, he earned the shot and he did a solid job. Um, he has the opportunity to be Miami's most valuable passing down linebacker in the future. So he also brings some talent as an edge rusher as well. And then someone that we've mentioned in several episodes is Landon Robert. You know, we won't mention that. Well, I guess I will mention that the touchdown he scored against the Dolphins last year at fullback. I think we actually put a poll out, Riley, uh, who's more likely to score a touchdown an uh, offense. Is it Landon Roberts or is it Christian Wilkins? You know, Christian Wilkins had the short one two-yard touchdown last year against the Bengals. He got like 86% um,
0: of the vote, by the way.
1: <laughs> he did. Uh, you know, I kind of I kind of agree with it just because of the goal line packages. But, you know, Landon Roberts is someone who comes from New England, like several other players the Dolphins have picked up. But he's a leader. Bill Belichick spoke very highly of his character and his work ethic, and he's someone who plays special teams very solidly as well. And a lot of this depth at linebacker for special teams, it's going to come in handy.
0: You have a unit that's very young, very talented, and has a ton of upside and depth, so very excited about what the linebacking unit can bring for the Dolphins this year. Let's go ahead and move on to number two. We're talking about the quarterbacks. I know, Mason, that you could easily make a case for them at number one by bringing in Tua with your first round draft pick, but we have them at number two here.
1: You know, Riley, and you could even go the other way too. You could look at this unit and you can say, well, wait a minute. Fitzpatrick is about to be 38 years old. You have a rookie quarterback in Tua who has a medical history and we're not sure how healthy he's going to be as the season starts. And then you have Josh Rosen someone who's really struggled in the past as well. Could this unit slide down our rankings at like 3, 4, or even beyond that? But I could see it going both ways, but we felt like number 2 was the best spot for this unit because of what it can bring in an exciting rookie like Tua and his caliber. And let's be honest, the way Ryan Fitzpatrick ended the year last season – the rapport he has in the locker room with his teammates and how he's developed the chemistry with guys like Mike Sicki and Devontae Parker, maybe two is the right spot for this unit.
0: Yeah, I get it. Ryan Fitzpatrick, 37 years old, going to be 38 at the beginning of the year, going into the last year of his contract has an up and down career, but look at the numbers that he put up last season. And maybe I'm a sucker that is falling for these numbers, Mason. I don't know. But since being reinserted after week six, All he did was throw for 19 touchdowns, 9 picks. He was the team's leading rusher. I know that wasn't very hard to do, but he was the 10th highest rated passer in the NFL since being reinserted into the starting lineup. 63% completion percentage. He balled out. And that's behind the worst offensive line in the league. So you finally get some talent inserted into that unit. You bring in some running backs that are going to help out the running game. And then obviously you have guys like Devontae Parker, Gesicki, Preston Williams looking to elevate their game going into this season, so I'm very excited about the prospects of Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then waiting in the wings, you have Tua, the future of your franchise, yeah, 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 I get it, he has an injury history, but I am so excited about the fit that Tua brings into this system, this Chan Gailey heavy run pass option system, that is to a T what Tua played at his time in Alabama, and he mastered it,
1: Yeah, and Riley, we also need to mention this, and we talked about this when we discussed Chan Gailey's offensive philosophy. Who does Chan Gailey have a ton of experience with? That's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Chan Gailey, they played together for five years in Buffalo and in New York. So, yes, Tua is a great fit for this offensive philosophy, but let's pump our brakes in Tua. You know, he can kind of wait in the wings. He can learn and develop because, man, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he has a great experience. He has a great relationship with Chan Gailey. And when you do bring in a new offensive coordinator that a lot of players for this young Dolphins team have not played for, because remember, Chan Gailey was retired. He's coming out of retirement right now. It is nice to have a quarterback, a veteran quarterback who knows his system front and back. And it's, there's not going to be much rust learning this system for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And with everything going on with the COVID situation, the fact that the teammates cannot be close together, they cannot practice together as they could previous years, that is a huge step up for Ryan Fitzpatrick if he's going to be the week one starter.
0: Yeah, I just think it's a great situation overall. You have a veteran quarterback that is accepting and knows his role on this football team. He knows he's not the future. Yes, he wants to start, but he even said it in an interview a month or so ago that No one's more excited that the team drafted Tua than he is. He's excited to bring Tua in under his wing, help him develop, and get him ready to become the future of this franchise. And then I'm not going to hold it on Tua, man. I am pumped about Tua. I don't care about the injury history. I mean, if you look at his time at Alabama, last season before he went down with that freak dislocated hip injury, he was throwing Mason for over 70% completion percentage, 33 touchdowns three interceptions. All he was doing was on his way for another Heisman contending season. So Tua brings a skill set that the Miami Dolphins quarterback position has not seen since the likes of Dan Marino. That's something to be excited it, about. It's no, it's very exciting. The prospect of Tua, the fact that Fitzpatrick ended the year on
1: such a high note. There's a lot to really be looking forward to with this unit. And that's why they come in at number 2 Riley. Now, no surprise though what comes in at number 1. That's going to be the secondary Miami Dolphins. They went out, they paid Byron Jones some money, but it was well worth it for what he's going to do for the secondary. And then if you look around, there's a lot of talent here, Riley, that you have to love next season for the Dolphins.
0: Yeah. I think if you broke this down a little bit more into cornerback safety, I don't think the safety position would be at number one, but the cornerback position is just so good. With two of the top 10 cornerbacks in the entire league, you have to elevate this group to number one. And quite frankly, you alluded to it, you're putting so much money into the this position. They damn well better be your number one <laughs> position. I mean, they're investing a ton of money into this group in Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, even the contract extensions that they gave Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe. So you're hoping that those guys can elevate their game. I know that we've talked a lot about Bobby McCain at the free safety position, but... At least he's versatile. He can play the nickel, the slot cornerback position, but you also bring in Noah Benagany, who I am very excited about. The more tape I watch on this guy, it is clear. A lot of people, a lot of draft experts had him as a later round pick, you know, late second maybe uh, round pick, but I see why the Dolphins went up and got him in the first round because he fits the mold of what Brian Flores looks for in a cornerback, and you see that in Xavier Howard, you see it in Byron Jones, and you see it in Benogany. Physical, one-on-one cornerbacks, athletic freaks that are going to get up in your face, press coverage, and they're going to make you beat them one-on-one, and most of the times you're going to lose.
1: Yeah, winning the line of scrimmage is a big deal for these defensive backs, for the Dolphins, for these cornerbacks. And Noah Igbenogany, that's one of the things I think he does need to get a little bit better on, winning the line of scrimmage. But you mentioned it. I mean, freak athlete, four 40-yard dash, 40.5-inch vertical, and 127-inch broad jump. You watch more and more tape on him. You see that anytime he ever got beat, that speed he has can catch up to those receivers. Now, of course you're dealing with a different speed in the NFL. So that is something he's going to have to work on. He is going to be a little bit of a project, but guess what? When you have Xavier Howard, when you have Byron Jones as your number one and your number two defensive backs, that's really going to give him less pressure in his first year in the NFL. And then you look at Brandon Jones, somebody who they got with a 70th pick in the NFL draft three-year starter at Texas. He's got a lot of good things to like as well. He could be inserted in the lineup sometime during the season too. Bobby McCain is somebody who we both agree is more suited for that nickel position than the free safety position, but he is someone who is talented. He's scrappy. I like what he can do for the Dolphins. And then of course, Eric Rose, someone who we both agree that could have a breakout season this year in his new role. When he switched from DB to safety, he only allowed 24 receptions on 45 targets without any scores. His four games as corner Riley, he allowed 14 receptions for 193 yards and two touchdowns. So his ability to cover tight ends, that switch really helped him out. I think he's going to continue that next season.
0: I want to go back to Abe Nagani for just a second because you talked about the athletic traits that he brings to the table. Yes. And that's why I'm so excited about him. Because one, he hasn't played football all that long. Two, When he did play football, he came in as a wide receiver to Auburn. So three, he has only played the cornerback position for two seasons at the SEC level, and he was ascending to one of the top cornerbacks in the entire SEC. Yes, he only had one pick his entire career at Auburn, but like you said, the skill set. He is a raw talent. Brian Flores can get his hands on him when you're around other cornerbacks like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones. You're bringing Ibn into a situation where he can not have the pressure, like you said. He can learn under these guys. He can learn under a veteran head coach at the defensive back position in Brian Flores and really catch up and accelerate his progression quickly to the NFL level. The guy's traits that he brings athletically are off the charts. That's why I'm so excited. And that's probably why he wasn't graded as a first-round player, even though He's a first round talent. There's a difference between that polished player that's ready and then talent. He is for sure a first round talent.
1: No, I I agree with that. And like, that's why I mentioned, it's going to be a little bit bit of a project just to see what he can do in the off season, leading up to the season and in the preseason, but a lot of less pressure on him when you have Xavier Howard and Byron Jones on both sides of the field. And if Zavian Howard and Byron Jones both stay healthy, one of the funner things next season is going to be is to see who gets picked on more <laughs> out of those two. We've mentioned a lot how Byron Jones only had 53 targets all season. That's around only like three a game. So it is going to be really interesting to see what quarterbacks do when Xavier Howard and Byron Jones are both out on that field. And that is why, that is one of the main reasons why this group is number one. When you have two of the top 10 cornerbacks in the league on your roster when they are both healthy and we need to knock on wood and cross our fingers because we know what Xavier Howard's past is like but new year new slate hopefully the injuries can be in his past but if those guys are both out on the field it is going to be helping the safeties in Bobby McCain and Eric Rowe it is going to be helping the linebackers and of course with our pass rush it is going to be helping those defensive
0: backs as well yeah. And you mentioned Howard's injury history and it's one to be concerned about. And I think that's why you've seen a lot of these moves that the team made. You finally have some depth at this position. We mentioned Bobby McCain, probably going to be your starting free safety, but has experience in the nickel. Nick Needham. We haven't talked about him, but he was thrust into action probably before he was ready. But, you know, for being an undrafted rookie, damn, he played pretty well. Yeah. You can't expect much more than what he was able to give you. He led the team in past deflections, last season with 11. So he brings some upside as well. And then obviously in Benogany, who you get in the first round of the draft. So you have a lot of guys that you're inserting, a lot of youth and a lot of talent that you're inserting into this lineup to give you that insurance policy, just in case Xavier Howard's knees are an issue for this season as well. So you're spending a lot of money. You're hoping to get a lot of production in this group. That's why they come in at number one for us. All right, Mason, that's going to do it for our list. Let's go ahead before we wrap up and do our Dolphins flag giveaway. So on Twitter, I posted it over the weekend. We had fans retweet and follow Finnett to win it, to be entered to win this Miami Dolphins American flag, over 300 entries into our giveaway. So a lot of people entered. Very excited about that. Thank you for everybody that participated. All right. So I'm going to put the names in this random name selector. Here we go. I'm going to click this button. It's going to give me a random name, over 300 entries. And the winner is Dawn Mason, at Wonderfinwoman on Twitter. This is exciting, man, because Dawn is a huge supporter of the show. Very excited that she won this. Congratulations, Dawn. You have won a free Miami Dolphins flag that resembles the American flag you know, for the 4th of July, you got to be patriotic. So that's why we did this. Great,
1: great last name too, by the way. Uh, Yeah, not too bad, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like that. Great last name, but congrats though. That's awesome. It's a great giveaway. And like we've mentioned, we're going to keep doing these giveaways, including the trivia contest that's going to be getting going too. So make sure you guys check that out on Twitter because the second round of that has started as well. So later on early next week or sometime in the next four or five days, we'll pick two more random people who, enter that contest as well. That's going to be a great contest when we get all those matchups together and have an episode for that.
0: All right, so make sure you guys enter our trivia challenge. Later this week, we have a bunch of great content coming out as well. We're going to be giving our off-season report cards for the Miami Dolphins. And then we're doing another Fins Up Friday. So we want you guys to call in and leave a voicemail with your questions or comments, and we will play them live on the show. If you want to get involved in that, just call 804 804- 905 8226, and we will play your message live on the show. So get involved in our Finns Up Friday. We have a special interview that we're going to do on there as well. So a lot of exciting things on the way here at fin it to Win It. Thanks to everybody for the continued support. Again, follow us on any major podcast platform and on social media Facebook and Twitter at Finnit to Win It. Until next time, everybody, for Mason. I'm Riley. Have a great rest of your week. We will see you guys next time here on Fin It to Win It. Fin's up, everybody.
2: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. He takes everybody up. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimović's brash confidence with the play to back it up to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair.